Good morning. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Mac, for um, worship. Those were amazing songs. Thank you guys for um, bringing, bringing forth worship. That was just very encouraging to hear those things. My name is Frederick Clement. I am the pastor of One Family Church, church planter. Uh, we are a year and a few months old, and God is doing some amazing things at One Family Church, and I'm excited to share a little bit more about that later on uh, this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to your Bible, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. It reads, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, for your scriptures that you have breathed out through your prophets. We thank you for the power your word possesses, Lord. We ask that we would just receive this word, Lord, and apply it to our, to our lives today. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to Speak before your people. Decrease me, Lord. Increase your spirit. Lord, we thank you for this. I thank you for this time, Lord, to, to preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's message is entitled, A New You. A New You. Now, this might sound a little weird. Uh, I was born in the late 80s. I was raised up in the 90s, so I'm a little biased toward the 90s. That's my decade. I love the 90s is my decade. I know I'm probably in the minority here, but the, my, the 90s is my decade. I love the sports. The Chicago Bulls dominated the 90s. We had some great sitcoms, great TV shows in the 90s. I just love the 90s. Now, the fashion, not so much. But other than that, the 90s were pretty, pretty good. That's a nostalgia when I think about the 90s. But as a church planter, uh, you can't live in the past. You can't just stay stuck in one era, you have to come forward and, and be current because as a church planner, you have to reach the generation that God has called you to reach. I'm reaching the millennials and the Gen Z. I'm trying, I got to stay current with what they're doing and what they're talking about. So my family, we love to listen to gospel music. We love to listen to contemporary music. We love to listen to gospel rap music. So as a gospel rap fan and contemporary music fan, I have to stay current with the times and the trends so I can make sure I can uh, properly and appropriately reach those who has God called me to reach. 
So there's this new song uh, by this guy named Torn Wells. And I watched the video with my family, and I was embarrassed because I didn't know what was going on in the video. I'm like, what is going on in this video? This guy was in this. He st- the video started out, he was in this, this tank full of black water. And I'm looking at the video, I'm like, okay, tank with black water. Okay, this reminds me of a futuristic sci-fi type of thing. And then the next scene, he, was, he jumped out of the black water and started dancing. I'm like, okay, that's cool. He started dancing. I can get with that. Then the next scene, he was in all white with white shoes and white coat. I'm like, Ekai, what is going on in this video? I feel old because I don't get it. I had to ask my son, Frederick, Frederick, do you understand this video? He's like, yeah, I do, Dad. It's pretty simple. I'm like, what's going on? I had to go to Google. What is this video about? And I was embarrassed. The video was about transformation. The video was about transformation. When you, when, when, before we knew Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. It was like we're just in this black, submerged in blackness, submerged in darkness. But once we experience and encounter Christ, he changes us. We become a new person in Christ. We become all white, radiant. And that's what the video was about. And I'm like, man, I should have known that. I'm a pastor. Come on now. (laughs) The video reminded me of today's message, a new you. When we experience Jesus, he truly changes us. Amen. He changes us. Number one, I want to say this. A new creation means you're a new person. Look at verse 17 with me. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, what is Paul describing here? Paul is describing the process of regeneration. Now, what is regeneration? Well, according to Titus 3.5, it is the washing, it is the restoration, it is the renewal of the old man into the new man. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. But to better understand regeneration, let me talk about it from a biological perspective. According to the National Institute of General Medical Sciences, Regeneration is the the natural process of replacing or restoring damaged cells, organs, even entire body parts to full functionality in some plants and in some animals. Now, obviously, we can't regrow limbs like certain animals can, but regeneration is a natural uh, phenomenon in certain animals. Now, let me give you an example. Let's just say an animal has contracted a a flesh-eating disease in one of its limbs. An animal with the... (laughs) An animal with the the ability to regenerate can remove or cut off the limb before the flesh-eating disease enters the bloodstream to save itself. That limb will heal, and then that limb would regrow, and the animal will still be alive. And the and, and, and the sickly limb would be detached, separated from the animal. This is regeneration. This happens in some animals. Now, we can't regrow limbs, obviously, but there was a terminal disease that we had before we knew Christ. It was called sin. And sin had affected us to the point where we were on our way to death. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. When we encountered Jesus, he saved us and gave us the Holy Spirit, and he regenerated us. The old infected nature that we had has been removed and replaced with a new nature, a new us. This is regeneration. We may not see the physical results of regeneration, but we do see the spiritual results of regeneration. We will get our new bodies in glory, but we have been given new desires, amen? We've been given a new heart. We've been given a renewed spirit. Now, this doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. The new creation is a process, and this process is revealed to us in Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to turn your Bibles to Ephesians 4 with me, turn your Bible to Ephesians 4. We can begin reading at verse 22. Paul talks about this process of being changed. Ephesians 4, 22, beginning of verse 22. The first thing that we must do in this process is to put off the old self. It says to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through those deceitful desires. Now, Paul is telling us to to put off the old self. The old self is the person that that that's the former manner of life, that person that we just uh, we gratified our flesh, the old man and we just did and we gave in to our flesh. We we did everything the flesh wanted us to do. Paul says to put off that old man. I love he says put off that old man. To put him off. That old man has no business being with you. That old man is corrupt through deceitful desires. Now this is not just behavior modification. We're not just changing our actions. Verse 23 says to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Verse 24 says, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. This is something, this is not something God does for us. This is something God does in us. This is something God does in us. He to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The new creation is a gift from God. This is an inward work. Okay? The new creation is an inward work. But this inward work should be expressed outwardly. Amen. This inward works become an outward reality as as Christians. It may be unfair to expect those outside the church to live in newness of life, but it's not unfair to expect believers who profess Christ to live a changed life. Paul tells us what these actions should look like, what these changes should look like. I'm paraphrasing the rest of this chapter, but Paul says, number one, to put away falsehood. 
amen, to put away falsehood. He says to speak truth with our neighbors. He says don't let the sun go down on our wrath. He says don't steal but work hard doing honest work with your hands. He says let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths. I know there's a shirt that says I'm a Christian but I cuss a little bit. It might be trendy but it's not biblical. Paul says let no corrupt talk come out of our mouths. He says, put away bitterness, wrath, slander, malice. Instead, to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And most importantly, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. These are the inward, the inward work that should be expressed outwardly as Christians. When people see us, They shouldn't see us anymore when when, when people that we knew in our past, when they see us now, they shouldn't they shouldn't see the old man. They should see the new person. They should see these new things inside of you, these new ways, this new nature. Who are you? I knew you in high school, but you look different now. There's something different about you. What is different about you? Oh, you must be a Christian. You must go to church because there is something noticeably different about you. I think I see Jesus in you. That's what people should see when they see us, not our old nature, not that former person that gratified our flesh, but they should see someone who is living a life sacrificial for Christ, bearing our cross, denying our flesh. When people see us, they should see Jesus. They should see Christ. They should see these new desires, these new actions. The inward work should be outwardly demonstrated. And we don't do this for our own glory. Amen. We don't demonstrate this new nature for self-righteousness. We do this for Christ's righteousness. We do this to glorify God, not to glorify ourselves. This is to point people to Jesus. Our new nature is to point people to the Lord so they can experience transformation, so they can be given a new heart and a right spirit, so they can experience regeneration. This is what God wants us to do. This is who God wants us to be, a new person. And when we experience Christ, we will experience a new creation. A new creation also means we have a a new purpose, a new purpose. Look at verse 18 and 19. It says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, I believe there's three things that need to be highlighted. There's three things that need to be highlighted in these verses. Number one, God reconciled us to himself. Number two, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And number three, he entrusted this message to us. Let's unpack these. Let's deal with reconciliation. Reconciliation suggests that there is a breakdown 
in a relationship. Okay? Reconciliation suggests there's a breakdown in the relationship. Now, now we know, according to Scripture, this breakdown took place in the beginning. This breakdown took place with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had a, a close relationship with God. But when Adam and Eve fell, that relationship was fragmented. It was broken. They became spiritually separated from God. Reconciliation needed to be established. This, this relationship, this, this, this breakdown of a relationship, it precipitated all throughout humanity, all throughout Adam's posterity. Everybody born has been are instantly disconnected and, and fragmented from God. Although, I mean, yeah, God, he went into a covenant with Abraham. He, uh, he instituted the animal sacrifice. But guess what? Reconciliation cannot happen through the blood of bulls and goats, can it? Yes, he went in the covenant with Abraham. Yes, he instituted the, the animal sacrifices. But, but true reconciliation cannot come from the blood of bulls and goats. We need true reconciliation. It's not possible through those means. It was only possible through the blood offering of Jesus. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross is the only blood that is powerful enough that can bring true reconciliation. You see in the Old Testament, the blood of a lamb or calf was, they said, sprinkled on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies by the high priest covering Israel's sins. But this process didn't permanently take away sin. It only covered sin, and it only did it for one year. That means mankind was not truly reconciled to God. This was a process that had to be done yearly, yearly, every single year. This process had to be done. This was not sufficient. So God, working together with Christ, fulfilled all things to truly reconcile man back to himself. How was this accomplished? Well, first and foremost, God, Jesus Christ had to keep the law perfectly, which means that he fulfilled God's justice. The Greek word for mercy seat in the New Testament is helisterion, which means that which makes propitiation or the removal of sin. The Bible says in the New Testament, Christ is the propitiation of our sins, which means Christ is the New Testament version of the mercy seat. And worst of all, God poured out his wrath on Jesus for every sinner who would be saved. This means Jesus not only fulfilled the law of God, he fulfilled and satisfied the wrath of God. And because we have accepted his payment, the sufficient blood, we receive eternal mercy and reconciliation from God. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we receive justification, mercy, reconciliation. But why? Why did God do all this for us? Because God is full of grace. God is full of mercy. We don't deserve God's mercy. We don't deserve to be justified, acquitted of all sin. We don't deserve to be living with living in Christ, Christ living in us. 
God's grace is so powerful. God's grace is so good that he did this when we didn't even deserve it. And now he's given us this message, the message of reconciliation. Now this message belongs to us. It is now our responsibility. He has entrusted this message to us. It's our responsibility to take forth this message to the world. This is our new purpose. Some call it the Great Commission. Some call it sharing the gospel, the the message of reconciliation. This is our purpose. God has, Christ passed this on to us. This is one of the greatest realities of Christianity. Christianity, this this is why Christianity is so unique. Because Christianity is not about us. Christianity is not about how much success we can get. It's not about how far we can go in life. Christianity is about reaching those who are far from God and bringing them near, to bring them to Christ. That's, the, that's why Christianity is so unique. It's not about works. It's about what we, it's about reaching those who are far from God because they need Christ. And Christ and God uses his church to execute that ministry, to execute that purpose, to execute that commission. He uses us, those who have been transformed. Now we are commissioned to go and tell those who are far from God about Jesus. This is why I love Christianity. Every other religion demands something from its followers, amen? Every other religion demands that their followers do works, Every other religion demands that their followers do something to earn uh, their worthiness, to earn their righteousness, to earn their salvation. But the Bible says that, that for the, by grace we have been saved through faith. It is not of our own doing. It is a gift from God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. I love that. So it's by grace we have been saved not of works, so no man could boast. That's the downfall and the paradox of every other religion. Every other religion is based on some type of work, isn't it? It could be knocking on a certain amount of doors, praying five times a day, giving a certain amount of money, converting a certain amount of people to your religion. Whatever the work is, every other religion demands some form of work from its followers to earn their way to heaven, to earn their salvation, to earn their worthiness, but it fails, it falls apart because there's no amount of works that they could even do. Think about it. These religions, these religions demand that the works be done to earn their way. And then they say, well, there's no amount of works you could earn to really know how much if you did enough. They do all these works. They live their lives working and sacrificing and being disciplined, praying all five times a day, only to still be nervous and scared and worried if they didn't, if they did enough works. You never know if you've done enough works in some of these religions. Or let's just say there are some exceptions out there. There are some exceptional people who can do every single thing the religion asks of them. Guess what? Then they could boast 
and then they could make themselves the reason why they were saved. And then the God itself becomes obsolete because I did all these things to get my way. I didn't even need the God. You see, in Christianity, there's no amount of works we can do. Our works are like filthy rags in the sight of God. So there's no way we could boast in our salvation. We don't we don't worry about our future works. We're saved based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We're saved based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. There's no amount of works we could do to earn our righteousness. The standard that God requires is perfection. The Bible says that we sin in thought, word, and deed. There are sins of commission and sins of omission, which means there are some sins we do and there are sins we don't even know we're doing. The Bible says the thought of foolishness is sin. The Bible says if we know to do the right thing and don't do it, that is sin. God didn't make it easy on us, did he? <laughs> there's, there's just every, when we wake up, we've probably sinned. God didn't make it easy for us. So who can live this sinless life? No human being can live this sinless life. Only God can live this life. That's why God had to come out of heaven and he stepped into time to, to save us from our sin because no man could do what he required of them. No man could, to, could reach his standard. The law only showed us how sinful we are. The law didn't help us. The law, the law killed us. Paul says, I didn't know what covenant was till I read the law. And sin became increasingly, <laughs> sin, sin increased inside of me. God says, okay, I got this. Hold on. Father, I'll be right back. I'm going to go down to earth. And save these folks because they cannot keep your law. Why did you give them that law? They can't keep this law. I'll do it for you, Lord. Don't worry. I, I, yeah. And Christ came and he kept the law and he fulfilled the justice of God and he satisfied the wrath of God. And because he did that, we can be saved. Only Jesus, only Jesus has lived this sinless life. The Bible says he was tempted at all points like we are yet without sin. What a mighty God we serve. Amen. Now, a new creation starts with us being a new person. We must renew our minds and allow the inward work of the Holy Spirit to be outwardly expressed a new creation means we have a new purpose. The purpose is this message of reconciliation that has been entrusted to us that we must now go forth and share with the world. Lastly, a new creation means we have a new perspective. Verse 20 says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made, us to, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. Paul saw himself as a representative in a foreign land 
proclaiming the message of the king. We too are representatives of Christ in a foreign land. The Bible says we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We are pilgrims passing through. Our citizenship is in heaven. Amen. So we're just here temporarily on behalf of Christ proclaiming his message to the world as as foreign representatives, as, as foreign dignitaries. Proclaiming the message of our king. There is good news, world. Your sin that you cannot pay back that debt, that you cannot pay back, somebody paid it for you. The only thing you have to do is believe, confess, and you will be saved. We have this message We live in a world full of sinners. We were all sinners in desperate need of a savior. Who could save us? We we try to find different ways to save ourselves, and none of these ways work. They leave us empty, just like the video said. These Eastern religions, they're attractive, but they leave us empty. These religions are attractive, but they leave us empty. Only Christ can fill that void inside every man's heart. That God-sized void that we try to fill with all these different things, only Christ can fill that void. It's our responsibility to bring forth and take that message to the world as his ambassadors, as his dignitaries. Verse 20 says, he is, God is making his appeal through us. God is pleading. He's pleading to the world. He's using us to plead to those who are lost. Now, why would God do that? Shouldn't it be the other way around? Shouldn't the guilty sinner be pleading to God? Instead, God is pleading to the guilty sinner. Shouldn't it be the other way around? You know what? Lee Strobel asks that same question. <laughs> For those who don't know, Lee Strobel is, he's a pastor, he's a Christian, but before he was a pastor, before he was a Christian, before he wrote A Case for Christ, and before he made the movie A Case for Christ, he was an atheist. He was an atheist, he was a journalist, and he hated God. He hated God. I love the movie A Case for Christ. Check it out. I've read read his book. It's phenomenal. But before he was a Christian, he was an atheist. He got married and his wife, they both didn't believe in God. But one day his wife converted to Christianity. He said, whoa, wait a minute, time out. This, I didn't sign up for this. We didn't agree to this. I don't, why, why are you a Christian? Not, we don't believe in God. We don't believe in God. She's like, well, I do believe in God. God is great. He's cool. He's saved me. You need to, you need to give the program. Ah, oh, no, no, time out. I didn't sign up for this. So Lee Strobel said, you know what? I'm going to use my investigative journalist skills and, and create this argument to debunk Christianity, to destroy her faith, to win her back over to atheism. Well, the inverse happened. He did all this stuff, and he became a Christian. (laughs) Because the evidence for Christ is so strong, he became a Christian. But it was one pivotal moment in in the movie, in his journey, that really just kind of blew his mind. He was learning about the crucifixion. He was learning about the suffering that Christ endured on the cross. He learned about it from a medical perspective. He learned about it from all these different angles. 
And he just finally asked, why would Jesus go through all this? Why would he do all this? Why would he put himself, why would Jesus subject himself to this much suffering and pain? And the priest says, because of love. Because of love. It, wow. Jesus says, greater love hath no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. This, and along with many other things, was the turning point for Lee Strobel. Why is God pleading to guilty sinners? Because of love. Because of love. The Bible says, God is patient. He doesn't wish any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We are the estranged spouse. It's because God's love is supernatural. It's overwhelming. It's never ending. He pleads with his elect, those in the world that are far from him. He pleads with him and he uses us, as Paul says, to be reconciled to God. You know, God uses us to bring forth his message Who are we pleading with in our lives? Who are we pleading with in the world? Who are we pleading with to come to Christ? Christ is not the guilty party. We are yet. He still pleads. This is because of his love. God does not force anyone to love him. He doesn't force anyone to be reconciled to him. Reconciliation does not work that way. It is our will. We have to choose to be reconciled to God. In other words, nothing will happen if people don't respond to the message. There is a God pleads to us, and then we respond to God. Amen? Just can't expect people to to respond to God if they have not heard. The Bible says there's somebody must go forth and preach. How can they respond if they don't hear? How can they respond if someone doesn't go forth? That is our responsibility, to go forth and appeal, plead with the world to come to Christ. Come to Christ. He says in verse 21, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is the the great exchange. He took our sinfulness and gave us his righteousness. He took our depravity and gave us his holiness. He's not depraved. He's not unholy. These were imputed into us. These were imputed into us. So when Christ, when God sees us, he doesn't see Frederick. He doesn't see Ekai. He doesn't see Mac. He sees Jesus. He sees his son. He sees what his son did. He sees us covered by the blood of Jesus. That's a great reality to know that when we stand before God, he sees his son. This was a different type of relationship. We have a different type of relationship. Amen. Adam, Adam had a, 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 a close 
relationship with God, but Adam's relationship was only through himself. Our relationship with God is through Christ. That's something Adam can only dream of. Our relationship is with this through Christ. That's how close we are to God. We must, we must live out this relationship. We must walk this journey in faithfulness and diligence. We must serve and go forth and display the inward work of the Holy Spirit outwardly to the world so the world can see what God has done in our lives. We are new creatures. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have a new purpose, providing the world the greatest message they could ever have, the good news. This is what we must do. This is what we must do. This is what we have been called to do. This is what God expects us to do. We have to lay down our fears. We have to lay down our own self-interest and think about those who need to hear the gospel. Amen. This is what God is calling us to do. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. No one else could accomplish what Jesus did. And I'm grateful that when Christ, when he died, he, he thought about me. Amen. He thought about you. Let us take that mindset when we go forth out in the world, when we go back to our jobs, when we go back to our communities. Let us think about those who are far from God and the beauty of reconciliation. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you gave us your only begotten son. Lord, we thank you that he died on the cross for our sins. Lord, we thank you that he gave us a responsibility to go forth to make disciples, to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Lord, to, to take with us the message of reconciliation. Lord, help us, empower us, equip us, Lord, to go forth with this message with confidence and with boldness, Lord, as new creatures with a new nature, with new desires, Lord, help us to broadcast Jesus in our, our lifestyle, the way we live. Let us, Lord, show the world that we are your representatives. Let us be a light in this dark world, Lord. Let us shine, Lord. Let us, let us just shine bright. Let us point people to your holy word. Lord, let this word be deep within us. When we go forth, Lord, that the word just comes out. And we're not fearful of what to say. We're not worried about what to say because the Holy Spirit, Lord, will give us the words to say. Lord, help us be empowered this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord, we ask you be with us for the rest of our days.